I try to title every message that I give on Sunday morning, and the best title I could come up with today was just Man Sunday. Man Sunday. Uh, today I'm going to talk about all things men's ministry. These are things I'm very passionate about. Um, we're having our freedom follow-up today, and so a lot of this information is stuff we normally cover in that meeting, but I wanted to just kind of present this to the church as a whole today. Um, it might feel more like a rant than a sermon. I'm going to share with you some statistics um, some philosophy, personal philosophy, uh, some principles that are true, whether you want to believe them or not. And I'm going to talk about a few key sections of Scripture that have really shaped the way that our church operates. And uh, because this talk was really designed for men, we're talking about you know grown man stuff today. And this, the tone may seem a little harsher than normal. And if there were little kids in the room, I might tell you, you might have to earmuff them. Uh, but... I'm excited about this stuff. I could go way long. I probably need to do like an eight-part series on this next year because I got a lot to say about it. But I want to start with some homework, and you don't have to do it, I guess, if you don't want to. But if the things I say today resonate with you, I would encourage you to pick up this book. This book was written in 1990 by a guy named David Murrow. Uh, it's called Why Men Hate Going to Church. And I bought this book when I was 23 years old. Because I wanted to get serious about my faith, but I indeed did hate going to church as a 23-year-old guy. And this book, in a lot of ways, kind of set the trajectory for my life, kind of gave me a roadmap. And I would encourage you to read it, whether you're a man uh, that wants to understand why you hate it so much. This will give you the answers. If you're uh, a woman that has a man in your life that hates going to church, I think this would help you make sense of that, along with all the other resources that David Murrow has put together. He's a genius. He's incredible. Uh, but I think this book would help explain why we do things the way we do things around here. But the reality is that just like me at 23 years old, most men don't want to go to church. And you don't have to tell me all the reasons why. I've heard all of them, and I've agreed with most of them at some point in my life. And maybe you don't know the national statistics. I'm just going to take a minute to kind of catch you up and let you know how special what we have at Wilderness is. The first thing you need to know is that the typical U.S. congregation draws an adult crowd that is 61% female and 39% male, and that gender gap shows up in all age categories. On any given Sunday in America, there are 13 million more adult women than men in American churches. Over 70% of the boys, and I've got two, I've got an 11 and a 9-year-old, who are being raised in church, will abandon it during their teens and 20s, and many of those boys will never return. Boy, I've seen that with my generation and the one to follow. This is certainly true. You can't argue that. And then this one, that more than 90% of American men believe in God. It's not that they're atheists. Let's see, where'd I go? But they, they fail to see any value in going to church. They, they believe in God, and five out of six of those guys call themselves Christians, but only one out of six attend church on a given Sunday. And then the average man accepts the reality of Jesus Christ, but fails to see any value in going to church. And then this last one is not an encouraging one either, but in a weird way it kind of gives me some hope. And this is it. Fewer than 10% of U.S. churches are able to establish or maintain a vibrant men's ministry, one out of ten churches. Now, that statistic is not good news, but it gives me hope because wilderness is certainly the exception to this rule. We have somehow beat this statistic, and in fact, in most cases, we've beat all of these statistics. And what you need to know is that other churches, other pastors, they know all these things. 
And when they hear those statistics that I gave you at the very beginning, their reaction is we have to do something, which I agree. And so normally they take an existing model of a church, they try to build a men's ministry and kind of leech it on, super glue it onto the side of that existing structure. And the average lifespan of a men's ministry in U.S. churches today is 24 months. The program is launched and dies within two years. That's most men's ministries in America. Here's the difference here. Wilderness doesn't have a men's ministry. Wilderness is a men's ministry. We've taken this approach because statistically it's the only thing that makes sense. You may not know this, but if you want to reach a family for Jesus, if you want to get a family to get involved in church and start following Christ, um, if you get the kid first, if, if we put all of our resources into Vacation Bible School, which currently in America is the number one outreach tool for most churches, and if that was the number one thing we did, and we actually did get kids to start coming here and get excited about church, that would mean we have a 3.5% chance of getting their parents. 3.5% chance. If we get women first, if we get them hooked and they get engaged in the life of the church, that's great, but that leaves us with about a 17% chance of getting the whole family involved. But if you get the dad first, if you get the father first, there is a 93% chance that you will get the entire family, which is why we're here. And that's why I want to put all my eggs in that basket. I'm not interested in playing any other game but that one. There's no plan B. That, that's it. And wilderness from the very beginning always has been a man-focused church. And we don't apologize for that. There will be zero apologies issued at any point for that reality. Only one out of four men in America report having six close friends. Only 25% of men say they have six people that they would call their friend. That's actually way down. In 1990, it was 55%, so that's a drastic drop-off. It's, it's a problem. 15% of American men report to having no friends at all. Men are alone, isolated, and in real trouble. The reality is the church isn't really doing anything meaningful to reach them. The American church is really, really good at attracting gay men and women, but they are absolutely horrible at attracting lesbians and men. And you might not like that fact, but it is really hard to argue statistically. All right, that's it. And I believe that your system is perfectly designed to get you the results that you were getting. And the American church system is perfectly designed for gay men and women, period. If you don't believe me, go to Mardell's. Who are they trying to sell stuff to? Not men. All right, that's a women's store, period. And that's American Christianity. That's where we're at on it. That's why when we started Wilderness, we did not want to have the typical evangelical men's ministry model that is full of obligatory men's prayer breakfasts or luncheons where they have boring speakers, penny loafers, fake smiles, and burnt pancakes. I'm not into that. I'm not interested in giving my time to that. Now, me personally, I, I don't really fall into any of these categories. Most of my life, I have been blessed with great male friendships. I had a great dad. I had two very involved grandparents or grandfathers that took me on all kinds of adventures. I had awesome uncles and cousins. I've established great long-term relationships with hunting buddies and guys that I've been in bands with. I was surrounded by pastors and Sunday school teachers and friends. Like I've always just kind of been in the sweet spot. I've been surrounded by great guys. I don't know if you've seen the movie Tombstone. There's like the epic scene, if you haven't seen the movie Tombstone, I mean, it's on Amazon Prime, watch it this afternoon, do yourself a favor. But there's a scene 
We're wide open, wide open, Doc Holiday are talking about fighting. And Doc Holiday says, well, I'll go fight with you. I'll die with you. He goes, well, why would you do that? And he goes, because you're my friend. And Wide Earp kind of, I kind of see myself in Wide Earp there. Wide Earp kind of smiles and goes, yeah, but I got lots of friends. And that's me. But Doc Holiday looks back in, you know, true Wide Earp fashion and says, I don't. I only got you. And I see myself in Wide Earp in that, and I see a lot of my friends as kind of the Doc Holiday lone wolf kind of guy. And a lot of guys fall into that profile. And... I know that most men haven't had great relationships. They don't know how to sustain great relationships, and it's really hard to make good friends, but there's a couple of principles that you need to know when it comes to men making friends with other men. The first one is that you have to earn the right to minister to another man. You might not like that fact, but it is the reality. Men inherently do not like or ask for or receive help from men that they don't know. It's, it's a pride thing. It's not a good thing. It's just a true thing. We certainly don't trust or even want to be around men that we don't know well or that we don't have respect for, and we certainly don't want help or advice from them in any way. So that's just the reality. The second big principle that I know is true is that the key to making great friendships is shared experiences. The kind of friends that really count when you need them are forged through a history of adventures together, and I've used this analogy a bunch, but it just makes so much sense in my mind. I don't know any other way to explain it. I've trained hunting dogs for 20 years. And my absolute favorite hunting dogs that I've ever got to hunt over or train or be around, they weren't necessarily the most talented ones. They weren't the ones with the best pedigree. They were the ones that I hunted with the most. They were the ones that I had the most shared experiences with. And the same concept is true with human relationships. We're going to form the strongest bonds with people that we go on the most adventures with. And my personal mission is to keep men engaged in the life of this church I want men to have real relationships within the church. I don't ever want men to feel like they have to come to church. I want them to feel like they get to and they want to. And Sunday mornings are great. I mean, we're here. It's great for a lot of things. We're always going to have great musicians to lead, and, and I or somebody better than me is going to teach the Bible. But we also know that this style, lecture, classroom teaching, is actually the absolute worst way for men to learn and retain information. This is not how we learn. We don't learn by listening. We learn by doing it's as simple as that. We're not doing away with Sunday morning services. We think it's a good thing. It's important to worship together and open to God's word and learn about it. And we can certainly make introductions in the lobby. We can shake hands, exchange pleasantries and phone numbers. But you don't really build relationships on Sunday mornings. And you really don't build relationships in any type of large gathering. There's a whole lot of power in keeping things small. Men are isolated. We're in danger of losing a generation. Men are skeptical of church for good reason. And if we're going to include them, we have to build trust, and we're going to build trust through shared experiences while, is why we created the centerpiece of really this entire church model. This is foundational to who we are as a church, and it's our Freedom Weekend. We just had one two weeks ago. We have another one coming up October 6th and 7th, which is a ways out. Um, but this thing has taken a group of men about a decade to build this experience. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't been to this thing yet, you, you need to come. Put it on your calendar. And the reality is that until you come to that event, you're always going to kind of feel, I think, like you're on the outside looking in. Um, until you make that 24-hour commitment to come to be a part of this. And I know that like, that sounds like a big barrier. and It even sounds kind of legalistic, but the reality is that's just the way it is. If we could find a better way to do it, we would do it. We, we haven't found it yet. And we can't get to know you on Sundays. We have to share an experience together. It's, it's just as simple as that. 
we aren't going to trust you until we get to know you. And you aren't going to trust us until you get a feel for who we are as a group of men. We're going to be skeptical about each other until we do that. That's just the way men build relationships. There's a lot we can't tell you about Freedom Weekend, not because we enjoy keeping secrets. In fact, the opposite is true. We think secrets are very damaging. But the reality is that if we laid out the schedule and tried to explain it to you in detail, it would not make sense because I've tried. Like if, if we thought giving you the schedule and explaining it would get you to come, it would, but it wouldn't. It would just confuse the whole thing. So we've just found it better to kind of, you don't really know what you're getting into because again, if we explained it, it wouldn't make sense. What you do need to know is that it is not a retreat. I don't even like the word men's retreat. Why are men retreating? That's a dumb thing. All right, we don't retreat. Freedom Weekend is not a Bible study. You're not going to sit here in this room and listen to me talk for 24 hours. That's certainly not what it is. We're not going to hold hands and sing Kumbaya. But you are going to be asked to step out of your comfort zone, but never without reason or benefit. It's a 24-hour experience that is the same exact schedule, the same exact trip every time, which makes it a shared experience. If you went through the last one, you went through the exact same thing that a guy went through four years ago. It's the same experience every time, same schedule. It's a multimedia event. We, we, there's, you're doing something different about every 30 minutes. We use movie clips and music and spoken word, group dyads, graphics, even an art project. I mean, we do all kind of stuff over the course of those 24 hours. But it's an experience. We can only take 16 men through this thing because that's really all we have the capacity to do. Uh, and we ask everyone to stay here for that entire 24 hours. It's a big commitment. We need you here for all 24 hours. If you have to take a two-hour break and come back, it's really going to mess things up. Uh, but we're all going to lock ourselves in this building for 24 hours, and we're going to leave our cell phones in the truck. And we have two of those a year, one in the spring and one in the fall. And this experience is really the centerpiece of everything for me. Uh, it does such a good job of putting everybody on an even plane, breaking down barriers, building trust among men. We present the gospel clearly, and we encourage men to follow Jesus. And from a ministry standpoint, this checks every single box for me. This event is completely volunteer-ran by a team of usually between 30 and 40 men. This is a budgeted church event, which means we have funds from church giving that pays for this event. So if you're giving financially to this church, I would encourage you to come see it so you know what you're paying for. But because it is a budgeted event, we get to offer this to attendees at no cost because I have a firm philosophy that you shouldn't charge people to minister to them. I just think that's a, you're shooting yourself in the foot on that one. And our goal for this 24-hour event is that you would experience God in a new way, that you would realize that we as men are all facing the same struggle and that we're all stronger together. And once the man has completed Freedom Weekend, we invite them to come back and serve on the team. Like I said, we're Right now, we're averaging about 35 men on the team for each one of these events. And I'm convinced that you may get out, you get, may get more out of it being on the team. Uh, when you come back to serve on a team, we're, we're not going to put you in a spot you're not ready for. In fact, we don't, the first time on the team, we really don't want you to do much. We just want you to sit and watch and observe and pay attention. There's no pressure. We're not going to put you in a spot, do anything you don't want to do. We just want you to come back and help. Uh, Freedom Weekend is highly intense and effective discipleship training. I'm convinced that if a man will devote himself to go through it and then come back to serve on three teams, which might take three years. You might not be able to do two in a row every year. We get that. But if you have came back and served on three teams and the where we stair-step this team process, at the end of those three teams, you're going to be prepared to do a lot of ministry. 
In fact, there's not going to be a conversation that bubbles up to this stage after a service on Sunday, a guy that drags up because he needs to talk or pray with somebody. You're going to be able to handle that situation. You're going to be able to know how to minister to the friends in your life and your brother-in-laws and your cousins and your coworkers, and you're going to be able to be ready for the problems that your sons are going to have when they inevitably face the same thing. It's going to train you for life and prepare you, I believe, for just about anything. I don't think men need more information we need more application, and we need relationships with other men to filter that through. And one of our key verses for Freedom Weekend is 2 Corinthians 12. And this is Paul writing, and, and Paul is, is dealing with this thorn in the flesh. He's praying. We don't know what it was, but he's praying for God to remove it from his life because it's causing problems. And in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 12, But God said to me, this is Paul speaking, that my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. This group of men have found great power in Paul's words. We have found freedom in being open and honest about our weaknesses as men. And I think if you just kind of stuck your head into one of our men's group, you may be surprised at the willingness of our men to openly admit their struggles to each other. But we've found so much freedom in it that we're not willing to stop doing it. The rest of that verse, verse 10, says, That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Freedom Weekend is designed to open men's eyes to the reality that they're living in, break the illusion that they're the only ones struggling, point them to Jesus, trade their weaknesses for strength, and then walk alongside them as we all follow Jesus together. We have yet to have a man complete the 24-hour weekend and regret it. We haven't had a single one, single one. We are retaining, as far as coming back and serving on the team, about 50% of the men who go through this event, which is insane statistically. Most churches are fighting to retain about 15% of their first-time guests, and we're seeing an incredible return rate on this thing. We see men that are excited to invite their friends. They, in fact, hit me up early to get the link because they want to make sure their buddy gets in because it's something they're proud to be a part of and they want to share with other men in their lives. We're seeing particular success with men in their 20s, which is insane because that's the demographic that no church is reaching. And because of the youngness of the men in this group that continue to impress us with the seriousness that they are approaching faith, we all realize that we can kind of see a gap in church life. That young men between 17 and 21 years old are falling through the cracks. Uh, that's when I walked away from faith. That's when most of us kind of had a crisis of faith. Real life starts to kick you in the teeth and stuff gets hard. And so something we've talked about for years is providing an experience for men in that age group, that 17 to 21-year-old, because they don't fit in anywhere else. By the time you're like a junior and senior in high school, it's not really that cool to come to the youth group anymore, right? And we also don't know how much we really want these 17-year-old guys hanging out with our 8th grade girls. You know, it kind of gets weird at some point. kind of gets weird. They're cute, but they're way too young for you to talk to. Stop, you know. So youth group gets real awkward for a man at about 16, 17, 18 years old. But they don't know that they're welcomed into what we're doing as a group of men. And so we want to welcome them into that. We want to usher them into that. And so... It's been a decade-long dream of mine to create an event just for guys in that window. And last year, we finally launched our solution to that problem, which is our Young Man's Advance. The next one's going to be on August 18th and 19th of this year. 
And this is, again, a 24-hour experience that we do twice a year, and we are actively recruiting young men. This is our calculated attack against the American incel culture, which if you haven't done a deep dive on incels, which incel stands for involuntarily celibate, uh, it's a real problem. It's a cultural dilemma. Uh, it's an epidemic of young men that are self-imposing isolation. They have no motivation or life goals, and they're going down a really wrong path. And this 24-hour adventure that we put together for these guys is out at a 350-acre high-fence game ranch. We're going to play poker. We might try to shoot them off of a jet ski with a potato gun. We're going to shoot skeet. We're going to go fishing. We're going to roughhouse. We're going to ride horses and a few other dangerous things. And then this event is led by our men, the ones who have completed a Freedom Weekend, because we want a man to do that before we trust them with a younger man. We want to know who you are before we put you in front of somebody else. And over the course of that 24 hours, we take a break to have six different talks, and all of them are kind of based on this book, The Five Marks of Man by Brian Tome, which is a great read. Uh, but we take the time to really talk to these, these, men, these young men about what it means to be a man, what, what, what that looks like. We can define that for them and try to set them on a trajectory to live that out because this is a tough stage of life for these guys. It's when most of the guys in our group needed help, and we want to be that type of help in another young man's life. We want to invite them out of boyhood, quit hanging out in Neverland with all the lost boys, and join the work of becoming a man. We want to show them that they have a seat at the grown-up table. We want them here. And we're seeing a ton of success with that, guys, that are excited. We have guys, seen guys that came through that event and then signed up for the Freedom Weekend the next time it came through. They're inviting their friends back. It's really cool. They're bringing their friends to church on Sunday mornings. It's neat. We're, we're seeing great success from that. And so once a man has completed that Freedom Weekend or the Young Man's Advance, it's important for us to maintain weekly connections with other men. We've got to have accountability, encouragement, prayer. We need people that we can process life with. And so we do that right now through check-ins. We do these at two times, Tuesday nights from 6 to 8, Wednesday mornings from 7 to 9. This is not a perfect system. We're always looking to add to this. We're brainstorming ways to make it better. Uh, and you can come. You're welcome to come to a check-in, even if you haven't gone through a Freedom Weekend or a Young Man's Advance. But I do believe you'll get a lot more out of it after you have. I think it'll all make a little bit more sense. The premise behind the check-ins is that somebody's going to ask you, how is it going? And you can do what everybody does and just say fine and start talking about something else. And we're not going to call you on that if you do it. But you could be honest. You could really tell us how it's going. And then you could present that information to a group of men that love you and love Jesus and want what's best for you. And it's an opportunity to kind of verbally process, talk through life. It's, it's valuable. Check-ins are a great tool. And I know maybe it just feels like hanging out with my buddies. And to some degree that is. Most of my best friends are here on Wednesday mornings when I'm here. But there always seems to be something that I need to do from 7 to 9. Like something always comes up almost every single week. But I've gotten to the point over the last few years that whatever I would have gotten done in that two-hour window is not nearly as important as the value that I get from being with these other men. It's irreplaceable and it's something that I can't do without. So these are the main tools that we're using to actively recruit, include, and serve men at this church. I mean, that's, that's the whole deal. We'll keep it really simple. We want guys to commit to a check-in, to be accountable weekly. If you're not going to be there, at least talk to somebody. Let somebody know how it's going with you that week. We encourage guys to come back and serve on a Freedom Weekend team to serve with the young man's advances. And we encourage our men to bring your family and serve at summer camp, which is in the end of July this year. So we offer these like five events a year. That's really it. 
for men to be together and to stay connected at this church. And we don't expect anybody to make all five. I mean, there's some years I don't even make all five. We know everybody's busy. My encouragement is that if a man would pick two of those events a year, one Freedom Weekend, one Young Man's Advance, or both Young Man's Advances, or Freedom Camp, or a Family Camp and a Freedom Weekend, if you plug into two of those opportunities a year, I really think you're setting yourself up for success and to foster some great relationships within this church. Outside of Freedom Weekend and Young Man's Advances and Check-In, the men in wilderness are serving in every other ministry capacity at this church. They help with facility issues. They're serving on the guest services team on Sunday mornings. They play and lead music. They're involved in the production booth. They're serving in our children's ministry and in our youth ministry. And those guys have to pass background checks to do that. But just to throw this in, this is a rabbit trail. I can't resist this one. There's a lot of guys that wish they could serve in our children's ministry, but they can't because they have a criminal record, and that's not a disqualification at this church. In fact, off the top of my head, I can think of three men that wouldn't pass the background check to serve in our children's ministry, but I often invite them into my children's lives because I want my kids to spend time with them. And if you have that experience, if you've spent time in the penitentiary or you have an arrest record a mile long, but you've actually learned from that, our group of men have found that that is a really valuable experience. And we actually like value the input that that kind of perspective brings to this group of men. And I want those kind of men in my son's lives. They're currently teaching them how to rebuild carburetors and run trot lines and clean deer. But it's important to me that my sons have relationships with those men that have had those experiences. That's not a disqualification at this church. Um, in the next few months, you're going to hear from several men from our church on Sunday mornings from this stage. It's important that I'm not the only one that's up here talking every week. There are other men in this church that are just as capable of doing this as I am. And honestly, I need a few weeks where I can devote some time to other things besides sermon prep over the rest of this spring and summer. And a lot of what happens within our men's ministry is never announced from the stage or done in this building. In fact, those five events are really the only ones we ever talk about from the stage or send emails out about. But we encourage our men to do two other things, and that is plan advances and adventures. Advances, the young man's thing serves as the model for that. Again, we don't retreat. We don't do men's retreats. We do men's advances. We're advancing in our faith. We're not retreating from anything, period. That's reality. And so these advances are time together with just men, time to go fishing together or play around to golf, uh, Time together that is advancing our faith, our relationships, our mindsets, and our love for each other. And, and we got to be careful with that. We can't be planning those three days a week, right? It can be a little bit too much. It depends on what stage of life you're in. If you have a wife and a bunch of kids like I do, you're going to get in trouble if you try to plan in advance every week. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be bad, all right? But we want these trips to actually advance the men that go on them, and we want to make that the point of it. The other thing are adventures, and that's just what it is. We, we, we use that word when we plan trips for our wives and our kids. Uh, when we take the initiative as man to put it on the calendar and go make some memories that are going to last a lifetime. Uh, groups, a group, some men from this church have taken their families down the Buffalo River on five-day kayak trips and spent time fishing and hunting and, and camping out, all the fun things. And, and those events are not about men. They're about the other people in our lives, our families, our wives, and our kids. Those groups are usually put together smaller. It's two or three families. And what I know about just men in general, which kind of lead into what I'm talking about next, is there tends to be, if you hear that, you know, three families went on a trip together and had a great time, there tends to be this thing that rises up in guys that's like, well, man, why didn't I get invited? We don't really deal with that very well here. You're, you don't, don't say that out loud, okay? 
If you didn't get invited, you need to plan your own trip. That's what you need to do. All right. Again, small groups of people is how we build relationships. There's only so much room in the fishing boat. All right. There's only got three seats. So I already had two guys coming. Sorry I didn't have room for you, but why don't you plan a fishing trip? And if I can, you can invite me and I'll go. But don't play the victim. We don't play the victim. We're not going to do that. Wilderness is a man's focused church. No apologies for that. No concessions for that. That is the plan and it is not going to change. And my fear is that we will do what the American church has done for the last several generations and water down Christian masculinity to the point where we're just a bunch of Christian nice guys and that makes me sick to my stomach. Some fun quotes that I love. Tim Keller, who's just a pastor in New York City, thought leader, unbelievable guy. He, he says, Jesus wasn't a nice guy who just did good things in the world. You don't crucify nice guys. You crucify threats. David Murrow, that wrote this book that I, I just told you about, he said, too often sissy fellows have paraded themselves as representatives of Christians' crowning work and characterization. We don't have a lot of sissy fellows around here. And then the last quote is by, you know, Canadian psychologist, thought leader, author, Jordan Peterson. His famous quote is that a harmless man is not a good man. A good man is a very, very dangerous man who has that danger under voluntary control. And I do not want us to be a church full of nice guys. I do not want to raise my sons to be nice guys. And I want all the men in this church to know that I see them as dangerous men, dangerous in all the right ways. And I can't control the men at this church, and I'm not trying to. And I have often said, and the reason there's a mountain lion on the screen right now is because uh, I equate men's ministry at this church as locking yourself in a steel cage with a dozen mountain lions and trying to teach them how to love and serve each other. That's what men's ministry feels like at this church. You know why? Because we all have egos. We all have prides. We all like to lash out, and we're not pulling out anybody's fangs or anybody's claws. We want these men to be dangerous. But there's, you kind of got to handle that with gloves on, right? And I know a lot of ways that this type of ministry could take a bad turn. And, and not only do I want to avoid those things, I want to get ahead of them, which is why I'm going to talk about these few things right here. The first one is competitive mindset. Men all fall into this. And we need to realize as a group of men in this church, we are not competing with each other unless we're playing poker. Um, within this church, Darren, you'll know, there's, the last time we counted a couple weeks ago, we could think of nine roofing contractors that go to this church. They're all bidding for some of the same jobs, all right? But week in and week out, I see these guys share trade secrets, give each other advice, tell each other what's working, and consistently, I see all of these men doing better now than they were a year or two ago, that we're all leveling up together. Rising tide raises all ships, and we're seeing that in this group of men. And my commitment is that when somebody tells me something good, I'm going to celebrate with them. And when somebody comes to me with a problem, I'm going to be there to help, not to judge them. Another big issue that is a constant you know, tension to manage within a group of men is sobriety. And we don't really take a hard stance on sobriety. In fact, I go with my favorite stand-up comedian, Theo Vaughn, and he says that the problem isn't drugs and alcohol. It's usually how we act while we're on drugs and alcohol. And I agree with that 100%. Every man in this ministry has a different relationship with drugs and alcohol. And I'm not going to make hard policies about it, but it is something that we need to handle carefully, especially on those advances and adventures. If alcohol is the point of what a group of men are getting together to do, we probably need to rethink that. We need to guard ourselves against that, because if you keep showing back from these men's advances, grumpy and hungover, your wife's not going to let you keep going, and I don't blame her. 
That's just how it works. We have to hold each other accountable on this stuff. It's a really big deal. For me personally, I want to continue to put my family first. My wife, Brittany, is my number one concern. And if the things that are going on at church put her in a bind, I'm going to rethink the whole situation. And I would expect the men in this church to do the same things for their wives. I often encourage men to not serve on a men's event because I know what's going on in their family and I know it's going to put their wife and kids in a bind if they do. And we have enough help that we don't need them. And I think that they would do a better job serving their, their family than coming and help us that weekend. That's something we talk about all the time. And if you're uncomfortable about the fact that we unapologetically make reaching men the gold, I really need you to rethink that. Because I think most churches in America, I truly believe this, would be better served to pull all the money from their struggling children and youth ministry budgets and put all of those resources into reaching men. I'm convinced that in the end, that would serve the next generation better. It's impossible to build a church that has more men, women in it than men in it than women. It's impossible. The reason it's impossible is because when a church is able to attract and retain strong men, you can't keep women from showing up. Women are very attracted to men who are intentionally and unapologetically following Jesus. And I don't just mean that in any kind of romantic or sexual way. I have been contacted by five women that are a big part of this church in the last two weeks. Last two weeks. I've been contacted by five women at this church who just wanted to thank me, not necessarily for anything I did personally, but for what the men in this church have done in that woman's life, for them personally, for their family, or for their children. That's a powerful testament to what's going on in this church. I see men in this church stepping up to serve in every capacity. We value the feminine spirit. We want it to flourish. There has to be a balance. We're not intimidated by it. We love being led in worship by him and Miranda every week. We cherish them. We adore them. We love them. We are so glad they're here. And I think that the most important thing that I could do for the women at this church is to pour everything I have into their husbands and their sons, bottom line. I have zero plans to build a women's version of our men's ministry. It won't work. Our, we, our brains aren't wired the same. We know that. Men and women are very different in the way we build relationships and communicate, and so we want to give the women in the church to have the freedom to do whatever works for them. I'm encouraging our men to lead their wives in making those good relationships. Getting connected is hard. Men, we got to help her. I encourage our men to identify women that you would want your wife to be friends with because you want your wife to have good friends. It's very, very important. And then invite that woman and her husband to your house. You cook them a steak dinner. You provide an opportunity for that relationship to be built. That's on you as the leader of your house. I encourage our men to take care of the kids on the, women, on the weekends that the women have stuff planned here so that their wives can have the weekend free to come to the lock-ins and to come to the other things that the women are planning. And that kind of spills into this whole big kind of idea of how we treat women. And it's a pretty rigid framework, but I think it's a good one. When it comes to how we treat women at this church, we put them in four categories. A woman will either need to be treated like your wife if she is your wife. And if she's not your wife, then you're expected to treat her like a mother, a sister, or a daughter. Those are the only four categories that we put women in. If she is not our wife, then we treat her as a mother, a sister, or a daughter. And I know that sounds like super radical. It's definitely countercultural, but I'm telling you, it's the right way to look at things. We are to treat every woman in our lives with honor and respect, and that starts with your wife. 
And for our men that don't have wives, we encourage them to practice on every other woman at this church. Show them honor and respect so when God does send you a wife, you'll actually know how to do that. We want to give you that opportunity. We need to hold each other accountable to being great to the women in our lives. Now, a study recently from Hartford Seminary found that the presence of involved men was statistically correlated with church growth, health, and harmony. Meanwhile, a lack of male participation is strongly associated with congregations that are in decline. Church is good for men. Men are good for church. In fact, more than good, men are essential to the life of the church. And I want to see us as men lead well. One of the big verses that we talk about at Freedom Weekend is, is from the Old Testament. It's in Exodus 20. It's talking about generational curses. And in verse 5, it says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And a lot of our men have experienced this. I, I didn't experience this. I, I was handed a faith by a dad. I, I, I had a dad that handed me a faith worth having and worth preserving. But most of our men didn't have that. In fact, most of our men are damaged by the past generations. There were men in their family that did hate the things of God. And because of that, they deal with a lot of past trauma, a lot of bad, negligent men that did horrible things in their life, and a lot of generational curses have been identified within this group of men. But there's another half of this verse. Because it says, I'm a jealous God. I'm punishing the children for the sin of the third and fourth generation to those who hate me. But, and this is a big but, it says he is showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And this idea, this is kind of like my why. If you want to know why I want to give my life to this, this, this is it. I want to pass a faith worth having off to the next generation. And I am certain, certain, for me, I'm not the guy that had to draw the line in the sand. Both of my grandfathers were believers. My dad was a believer. I was handed a legacy faith, which is a beautiful thing, and I hope I hand it to my sons in good shape. But for most, the overwhelming majority of the men in this church, they are the ones that are drawing the line in the sand. They're looking at the past generation saying, it's got to stop with me. I'm not going to allow my kids to feel the hurt and the pain and the trauma that I had to experience. So it all changes with me. It stops. And that's a lot harder line to toe than the one that I was handed. All right? That's a big thing. But I am so convinced that the children of the men in this church and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren of the men in this church, their lives will be forever changed because of decisions that are being made here in this ministry. So if we keep doing this, and, and we can, we can. Together, if, if we did this for 15 more years, that means we could give 500 men this experience of Freedom Weekend where they would be centered in the gospel, where they would be surrounded by other men that love them, want to do life with them, when I think about the impact generationally of 500 men making a decision to lead their family in a different direction or a better direction and how that is going to impact their children, their great-grandchildren, I mean, it just keeps on going. It's overwhelming to me. In fact, it's such a huge idea that I am very happy to lay my life down in that. I will give my life to that goal. It's a big thing. And so... Men's ministry isn't really a category at this church. Men's ministry is what this church is. We're passionate about seeing men follow God. And I just want to lay all this stuff out for you. I wish I had another two hours to talk about it because I get really, really, really excited. <laughs> Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for this vision that you put in my heart and in the, the heart of these other men that for the last seven years, eight years, we've rallied together to try to create this group of men 
We want what we do to honor you, to glorify you. We want you to work big in our lives. We certainly need you in the weaknesses, and we need you to show up. We need you to leverage those for strength. Lord, I thank you for all the men in this room who have been the generational game changer. They've drawn the line in the sand and decided that it all stops here. I'm not going to continue what's been going on. I'm going to change my life, the lives of my kids and my grandkids. I thank you for those men, and I pray you continue to send them. I pray that you will bless our effort. We, we can't make you do anything, God, but we can prepare for you to do something, and that's what we've set our lives to do. We thank you for the opportunity to do this, and we ask all this in your son's name. Amen.